You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. You can't steer a boat that's not moving. We need, we as Christians, we need to start opening our mouths. And it says that he who believes on the Son has life, and he that does not believe um, does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, to me, one of the greatest things God did to me was give me peace, give me a hope, give me a promise. And I thought, I have eternal life. I'm, I'm bound for heaven, and it's, it's forever. I'm Mark Dana. And I'm Venus Cote. And this is Hope to the Nations. So, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> what are we going to talk about today? Well, I got to thinking about uh, your testimony about how you came to the Lord. Okay. I don't think I've really heard it. It's been a while since I've heard it. Mm-hmm. Maybe our uh, maybe someone out there would like, would yeah. like to know who Mark is. It's what re- makes Mark? It's a really a family story, I could say. Okay. Um, I was the oldest one in the family. I have three sisters. Uh, my father is Penobscot, so we have that side of the family is Penobscot from uh, Old Town, Maine. And uh, my mother's family is from Lincoln area. So uh, anyway, God brought my father and mother together. Uh, that's a story in itself. But anyway, they both came to faith. And I was a young person growing up in Bangor. Um, I didn't live... So were you raised in a Christian home? Nope, I was not. As a matter of fact, we never went to church. What I saw of Christianity when I was growing up was usually someone who was from a religion that went, was forced to go to church. And you could tell because they were just hoping, you know, just anxious to get away from there and... I said to myself, well, why would you want to believe in that if you want to get away from it? Like, you don't want to sit there in church, but I guess they had to because their their parents wanted them there. So I grew up with that. I grew up with wondering about God, even from a very young age. I remember asking uh, my mother one time, like, how did God come into existence? Like, who made God kind of thing? that's kind of that's something you try to wrap your your brain around it's too hard to really think about so i was questioning about god and i was sensitive really to the whole subject of god as a as a child i was even though i didn't go to church um so i was blessed with a family that loved nature loved to get out fishing hunting anything outdoors like that it was part of my uh, my background, and uh, that was always there for me. I kind of lived, I lived in between two worlds, like we would go north to like the Lincoln area, and that was more fishing, hunting, and everything, and living in Bangor in the city, and that was where I had my friends, and it was a total different life. And so in Bangor, I... I was there, living there, but my heart was not really in the city. I I had friends there. 
I was involved in sports. I was I was blessed to be able to play sports. I love basketball, uh, football, baseball, those kind of... So I was able to play that when I was young. And the whole idea of going out and into the... Like camping out into the nature, I had some really good memories of that. And so to go out in nature was to go closer to God for me and my and my sense of things. But as I got to be a teenager, it wasn't long that I started experimenting with things that were not so good for me. And drugs was one of the things, like marijuana was one of those things. And it kind of really stole from me a lot. Um, I don't know. I was... There was some kind of pain in, inside of me that I was trying to alleviate, I guess. What do you mean when you say it stole from you? Well, like, I used to have this natural interest in sports and in nature, and I still kept that, but I lost the edge of wanting to do anything, so I just kind of wanted to just exist and didn't want to, like, I, I didn't play sports at that time, uh, figured I, I really figured I couldn't make the team, so why try? So I wasn't trying, that kind of thing. I was getting further away from my family as well, which was really sad because I did love my family. Mm. Uh, so my life kind of just took, uh, I was almost like living in two worlds, like I would live in my family, but then I lived with my friends. And when I was with my friends, it was often around uh, drugs and alcohol. And so I was searching for something, for some meaning in life. And I felt that that was the way I could actually search. And so you listen to a lot of music and you pick up on, you know, the lyrics of a song. And maybe that would be pointing towards the existence of, you know, why people are here and all that. So basically, I was in that situation. And... Yet, I always had that opportunity, like, if I went out fishing or hunting, I was just like myself. I just felt I was more myself in that setting. And uh, I guess I was looking for adventure. So, in high school, well, this is one of the things that uh, really was something God used. I realize in high school, because I didn't really put myself into my studies that much at that point, uh, that I could actually paint pictures and I had a talent in art. And so in the art class, um, I would be painting pictures and people would come around and look at it and they say, oh, that's really good. I entered one in a contest and I got some kind of honorable mention or something in the so contest. do you still paint today? I do, yeah. Not as much as I should, but that's something I want to do right now. So, uh, something I'm, it's, it's right on the horizon for me. Yeah, I, I like that. See, that's something I didn't know about you. I didn't know that you painted. Yeah, I, it's like I said, um, people recognize that I had a bit of talent that way. Yeah. So wanting to have adventure and wanting to get away from my parents, I guess, um, my teacher, my art teacher said, well, I went to this, this kind of art school. It's like a workshop in New York city. And I got a scholarship from the school. And so I, 
I, uh, I decided I'd go down there. And there was somebody else from my area that was going down there too. So we went down there together and just kind of got an apartment and went to this art school. So that was another, um, another part of my life. In this art school, though, I was astonished. I was surprised. There were people there that didn't believe in God, because I always thought that believing in God was a rational thing, really, because I even had a kind of a picture of things that, you know, if nobody did harm to anybody else, you, this, would, this world would be kind of like heaven. If nobody stole from somebody or nobody, you know, um, abused somebody or that kind of thing, it would be more like heaven here. But I really didn't know um, that I didn't really know God at that point, I don't think. Uh, I had, at one point, gone to a church. Now, this was really un unusual for me, but my uncle had, had uh, set me up to go to a daily vacation Bible school when I was like nine years old. And so just leaving that there, I guess, looking back, I had a certificate that says I had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ at that time, nine years old. But where I was as a teenager, it didn't show it at all. And I was not interested, for some reason, in going into a church. The church was, going into a church was the worst thing I could think of. Going out into nature, finding God there, that was, that was all right with me. And uh, while I was in New York City, my family... My, my father, my mother, my sisters, they all had been in contact with Christians and they had given their life over to God. And here I am in New York City and not really living, you know, like not really following a, a good path at all. Uh, I was doing art, that was good, but the whole environment there was not good. Um, I thought that I didn't want to go back home and have to go to church. So I was not there that time. And some of my friends even said, well, I can see how you probably will turn into a Jesus freak. That's what they said. Maybe just having talked to me or something that they thought that that's what I would become. And I said, never in my life would I want to be a Jesus freak, right? And so I went back home and this was after one year of Bible school, uh, Bible school of art school, and uh, my family had all changed, and they were kind of young in their faith. So when you're young in your faith, you kind of rigid. You're kind of rigid, maybe not everybody is, but they were zealous, but a little bit rigid, and they wanted me to follow the same path as them. And I'd already been away from home, so it wasn't an easy go for me at the time. But they kind of gave me a, a choice. Like, if you want to live at home, you're going to go to church with us. If you want to go live someone else, somewhere else, you can go and live somewhere else. So at the time, I thought, well, I'll live here and I'll go to church with them. So I used to go back, go into the church and just sit down in the back pew. I had rather long hair. I actually had hair at the time. But anyway, I had long hair and I slouched down at the back of the church. But for some reason, that in that church... There were older ladies that just loved me for some reason. They thought that I was the best person that they could, they could ever meet. And here I am slouching in the back, right? Listening, though, I was listening. And then I would listen to the, 
the Bible, which was quite foreign to me. I, I had been given a Bible, and I never really read it. And I would be listening to the Bible, and somewhere along the line, I, I had heard that, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, you know, read everything that Jesus said, and consider, like, is he God? Because he, he said so many amazing things about himself and about everything. Or is he someone that's like mentally deranged, a, a lunatic? And I s actually sat down in the Bible and tried to look and see if Jesus was who he said he was. M with my lack of knowledge and all that, but I was reading it. And it wasn't, it was probably that, that, that kind of spoke to me, but then there was also, there were older people, older m men serving in the church, they were like in their 70s or even 70, almost 80, and on their faces you could see like a peace and almost a glow on their faces, and it was that, actually the, these men, the, the faces of these people that spoke to me, that this is something I really want. And so at that point, I got more serious about following Christ, right? But I was kind of the kind of person that I was not sure in the sense of having any assurance. So people, they kept hearing the message, like, just receive Jesus into your heart. Once you say that prayer, you're saved. That's it. Well, I would find myself saying that prayer over and over and over again, just to make sure, because I wasn't sure of my salvation at that time. Maybe there's someone out there doesn't really understand what being saved means. Can you tell me what that means? Well, to me, being saved is actually being rescued uh, from my personal sin and from the sin that's around the world and and that's like future complete future like i i can believe on jesus and i can be sure that i have life with him when i die uh so that was something i wrestled with i thought that i had to keep doing keep going to church keep reading the scriptures keep uh, learning, like if I ever went off the path, then maybe I would actually be lost. That's, I didn't understand until later. And it was actually a friend of mine at Bible school that told me like, what? You, you really think that if you were off at a, off somewhere having a beer when the Lord came back, you'd be lost? And I said, yeah, I couldn't, I'm doing a sin right there. Therefore, I couldn't be, go with Jesus. Um, but he told me that's not, that's, it's, that's not what it's about. It's not about you and what you do. It's actually what God does for you and putting you right with him, like having a right relationship with him and just, um, including him in every aspect of your life, your good moments, your bad moments, when you totally fall down and you think that's the end of your, you, you know, maybe God's going to give up on you. Mm -hmm. He's still there for you. So it, it all, it puts all the emphasis then on God and what he's done, what Jesus, what he's done. So at 
that time I, I had um, given, said that prayer, and I was really hoping that I would have some kind of emotional experience, which uh, didn't, and when you want to have an emotional experience, it doesn't seem to happen. And so I was, I was just, um, I guess you could say there was a lot of opposition in my life because of uh, what lifestyle I had lived before. I had friends that were still coming around sometimes, and they had a big sway on me. And I knew at some point I had to be able to tell them, I'm different now. I'm not going to do the same things I used to do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the verses that really came to me was, <clears throat> in Colossians, where it says, being rooted and grounded in Christ, you grow up into Him. Um, I knew I needed to get my roots, my, my life roots down into God's Word to be able to stand. And there were some times where my friends came along, or one time in particular, and I didn't stand. I, I fell. I was doing really well, according to, you know, people. And then I, I fell. But that only pushed me more towards getting back up and really, you know, walking with God, even in a, a more determined way, right? So that was kind of a turning point. And after I did understand the Bible more, and I actually did understand what I believed, then I did go back to my friends and I told them, and I could sit right in the same room with them and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not the same. I'm not going to follow the same path. And I was able to do that with my friends, mm -hmm. which was a huge step for me because that was a major part of my life. The, it was probably if you said drugs, well, it wasn't just drugs, it was friends. Because, you know, you're in the in-group or you're in this group and you feel important or whatever because of that. And I was friends with them. They were my friends. There's no doubt about it. It's kind of like how God made me. I think uh, he's made me like a, a loyal person. And loyalty, like, uh, kind of comes naturally for me. So it's, it can be good or bad. Like, it depends on who you're loyal to, right? So, uh... I decided that I wanted to be loyal to, to, to Jesus, mm -hmm. but the, the, the wonderful thing is he's much more loyal to me <laughs> than I will ever be to him, because he said he'll never leave me or forsake me. So all that, to be, all that being said, I got a different picture of things after a while, and I'm still learning. And uh, How old were you at this point in your life? I was like 17, yeah. So I'd already, you know, become pretty well an adult, uh, but young adult. Mm -hmm. And um, one time I was really stuck. I was a Christian. I had been baptized, um, publicly baptized, but I wasn't going anywhere because I would just be in my room. I would be painting. I, I would just, you know, live day to day. Until this man came, he was, uh, he was actually somebody who was a uh, missionary in India. And he came and he stayed at our house. And he came up into my room and he saw what I was painting there. I think it was the Iroquois Tree of Peace. I was doing that for my aunt. 
But he looked at it and he thought I had, you know, talent and everything. But he said, but what are you doing with your life? And I said, well, I really don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what direction to go. And he told me, he said, well, you can't steer a boat that's not moving. So he, he encouraged me. He says, go out, do something, start looking in some direction, get a job, etc. Just go out and get, you know, get going. And he said, I'll pray for you. So that's what I did. I just went out and looked for a job. And I found a job right away. I started saving my money. And then I got introduced to uh, a place like a theological school, a Bible school. And I was interested in that because I knew I needed to grow, right? I needed to get more solid in my faith. Mm -hmm. So I had the money necessary to go there. And so after that, one thing led to another. And the other thing was being more involved in uh, serving him, you know. So uh, that's the way I started. There was a lot of combat, spiritual combat, that because of my past uh, life and that kind of thing. So it wasn't easy. Baptism was an important part of, you know, of that. So um, that's the direction I went. And I always knew that I was Penobscot because my family, my father's family lived in the community and they would visit and everything. But I didn't know really all the ins and outs of that because we were, we were living in Bangor and they were living in Old Town. And, uh, so we didn't really, my father was close to his sister, and so I knew my immediate cousins there. But this is something that's really wonderful, is that now, after all these years, which, you know, 30-some years has gone by, it's like I'm, I'm really discovering who my family is, extended family, more and more, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a wonderful thing to uh, see happening. I, uh, I really think that God is uh, interested in families and he's faithful. He's so good. And, um, you know, like I, I understand uh, more about grace now than I ever did. Grace being a, a free gift that's given to you by a great person much, much greater than you. And then when you receive that gift, you're so grateful for that. You want to show gratitude to, to this person and you want to let other people know how good they are. And that person is, uh, is God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, uh, the Trinity that's one God. One God, three persons. That's that's hard to fathom, but I'm yeah. finding out more and more that that is the center of what we as believers believe. It's it's the, that we could actually be completely different, you and I, or someone else, and in Christ we're one. Like we we see a little bit of that, but in the Trinity, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is absolutely awe 
inspiring that unity, that love, that respect that flows out of that. Yeah. So um, that's a little bit of how I came to Christ, and it it uh, I always thought that I had to be a, would have to be a missionary in Africa or something because that's what people do. They, you go far away. But then God showed me through working at a camp with a group of teenagers that were so hungry for love, so hungry for some kind of sense to their life. He showed me how he could use me in that situation. And I just thought that was just a perfect fit that I could actually, you know, I could be involved with uh, Native people, First Nations people. I became more identified with uh, in with the community that uh, my my father comes from my family comes from and uh, like I said uh, it's a part of my life God's bringing more into focus and yeah he can do the same thing for anyone that just puts their trust in him and you know, just uh, moves moves ahead because, yeah, if you don't take the step, you're not going to go anywhere, right? The first step is like a very important one. And if you make that first step, then he's just ready to run and and really God is like like in the parable of the uh, the prodigal son. As soon as the son showed up, the father was already running there to to embrace his son. His son didn't do anything. All he did was come back. And the father embraced him and took him into a relationship again as a son. And he uh, had a great feast in his honor of him coming back. He was, uh, he was willing to lay aside his dignity in the community because the community was waiting for him to say, I don't know this person, that person's dead to me. But instead of doing that, he ran and embraced him and said, this is my son. Mm. So, um, did you go to Bible school? Yeah, I did, yeah. I went to Bible school. I, uh, I really, that was something I really like, is studying the Bible. Because it's so, makes so much sense, even though... From a point of view of uh, you know what most people think, it might it probably doesn't, but mm. I've seen that it is absolutely trustworthy and it makes so much sense. Yeah, that God would want to speak to us and show us because if not, we would be saying well, we're the ones that decide what's good and what's not yeah. good. So, and isn't that what it was like? Uh, Adam and Eve, what, what Satan said to them, you know, you if you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will know good and evil yourselves. You won't need God. But, uh, but God is faithful. He doesn't leave us. And it's not like we're seeking him necessarily. It's that he is actively seeking us. So that's a change in my mind because I always looked at it from the point of view as I have to seek God, which I it is a part of me. I I do need to do that, right? Yeah. 
but he is more actively seeking me and has done everything for me. It's not about me, it's about him and what he did. So I really thank him for that. So I know you're married and you have four children. Yes. Where did you meet your wife? Uh, we met at a... Did she go to the same Bible school? Nope. No, uh, we actually met. We were going to the same training uh, place in British Columbia. We met at a conference. And, uh, well, that's a long story, was too. Was it because uh, love at first sight? It was like God said to me, that is the one, you know, that that is the person kind of like uh, that I have for you. It's, it's kind of a funny thing. i heard stories like that. And, and did you just know within yourself that she was the one? Or did he say, that's the one you're going to marry? It was kind of like him saying it. And yeah. then, you know, it was a story of... Uh, crazy story of me we were going to the same place while I being a single young man I uh, I had a tendency of losing things and uh, forgetting things <laughs> I still do but anyway um, good thing you have a wife yeah right <laughs> so uh, then I had been at a conference, that conference where I met Ruth Anna, and uh, I looked at my, I was getting a ride with somebody to go renew my visa, but I looked at it and I realized it was like overdue. So I went to this airport and this, I hit the, probably the most hard rock bureaucrat in Canada. He was not going to budge one bit. He was, I had somebody there pleading my case that I had just forgotten and everything, but he, no, no, you have to leave the country. You have to come back in. And so this was in British Columbia. We were in, at the time, Manitoba. So I got a ride to, to Alberta and at, that's where I was supposed to get a ride to where we we're going, but I couldn't go because I had to leave and come back in. So God had a lady there was she was asking God what do I do with this $200 and when she heard of my story she gave me that $200 so I was able to get the bus and head for the border not knowing really where I was going just knowing I had to get out of the country and come back in so when I got to the border I was on a bus and I was having a little difficulty getting my suitcase open and people were waiting for me. And this border crossing guard is like, you know, wondering what's going on. I, I told him, and he said, I'll tell X ahead for you and all that. Well, that was fine. And I headed further west. And at that point, I started feeling kind of alone, you know. even I don't know where I'm going. I've never been here before. I'm heading west. I know where I'm going, you know, in British Columbia, but I'm in the United States. And I looked over and it's again, like I saw this person that was sitting over there and you could see on his face something different. And I said, okay, I'm going to go talk to him. So I went and talked to him. Sure enough, he was a believer. And so we talked and it really, for me, it was comforting to find another believer. 
And so when we got to Seattle, he kind of gave me a little help. He said, well, you could go to the airport, get it like you could get a shuttle and go to the airport, get yourself a ticket and fly to Vancouver. So anyway, that's how it worked out. I had enough money at the time to fly from Seattle to Vancouver. And so all the time, I guess people were praying for me because they said, well, where is, we'll never see this guy again, probably. He's gone. He's, he's got it. We don't know where he is. And so they were praying for me. And Ruthanna was wondering, like, well, I met this guy at the conference. And I wonder where he is now. He's not, not here. So anyway, I, uh, I got on uh, the airplane because I had already driven across the country with another person with a moving truck. I had met people. So when I got to Vancouver, I called them and, uh, cause I had a, like had to overnight there and this person's son came and picked me up, took me to church and we went to a baseball game. And then I got my, my flight out the next, next in the afternoon. So that sounds really, you know, positive until I get to where I was supposed to go. And the airport was closed, so I had to stop at ahead of the airport where I was going, get on a bus, and and you know uh-huh. keep going right on a bus like hours. And uh, then I got to where I was supposed to go, and I I phoned the place, and all the phones are out. So and then I waited longer, and I phoned again. All of them were out. It's almost like you were getting one obstacle after another. It was really, and uh, so. Finally, I just gave up. I had, at that point, very little money. I didn't have enough for a hotel room or anything. So I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm First Nations. I'm, you know, and there's a Native Friendship Center here. I'll go there. So that's what I did. I went and went to the Friendship Center, and that, that gave me good contacts with people and, you know, uh, not much of a bed, but we... Uh, Were you in Canada at this time? Yeah, I was I was up towards uh, Quinnell. And uh, so I thought, well, next day I'll just call and somebody come pick me up. I didn't know where this place was I was going, but ended up that the I kept calling and it was still a busy signal the next day. So I said, well, I got to get there somehow. I don't have any money or anything, so I decided I was going to hitchhike. With my uh, my one suitcase there, <laughs> and uh, walked and walked and walked, and but what was really cool is like when I was with the Cree people, they showed me, you know, wild mint. So I was walking along, and I'd look and I find some wild mint and things like that. It was it was an interesting, you know. But I was just I just figured. All right, the Lord's brought me this far. Someone's going to pick me up. But uh, finally, somebody picked me up and drove me to where I was supposed to go. And I went in, and the yeah, sure, the the uh, sure enough, the telephones were down for all that time, so I couldn't get anybody. And I walked in, and everybody's looking at me like, "How did you get here? We thought you were going to be gone for two weeks or something." And it was only like well, I missed one day. That's all of the, and it was just the beginning. So wow. And Ruth Ann was there kind of looking at me like, hmm, <laughs> what's going on here? So, so yeah, that was some of the excitement that I had. And, uh, but I, I appreciated, you know, learning about Cree people 
and uh, uh, that was great. Learning, started learning more about people out west and, you know, the different tribes and nations. And So that's where you got your calling? I was already on the way. I was, yeah, I was already going out to, you know, burn church. That's where I was going, so... So anyway, uh, but then I, you know, Ruth Ann and I started to get to know each other, and uh, the the gossip line and everything, you know, was pretty strong there. So uh, anyway, we we had to work through some things. Someone told my father that I was engaged, and we weren't even we just started to date. <laughs> so I had to explain to my father that no, I wasn't engaged because he was a bit surprised, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you guess you got a small, small world uh, sometimes. And uh, and Ruth Anna was supposed to be going up to uh, the Arctic and Pavungnituk, and uh, so that kind of caused her some difficulties because people thought, you know, well, these people are really serious, and we were, you know, moving towards that, but we weren't moving. We weren't engaged or anything. Yeah. So, um, that, you know, moved us to, we, we get to know each other better, you know, there at that, at that, I mean, being, uh, following the Lord is not always easy, you know, there's lots of, uh, obstacles. Yeah. But it is interesting. I mean, you, especially if you learn from every situation and, uh, Sometimes you have to forgive. Uh, forgiveness is a really important part. And I guess that's what I was wrestling with before I was uh, put my trust in the Lord and before, you know, God became the center of my life is forgiveness. Sometimes you can, you can say, oh, you know, I forgive you. And that's true. But people sometimes have a hard time forgiving themselves too, right? And uh, so... That was that was part of my journey is to understand forgiveness and it still is today. Mm. Uh, I came to understand that forgiveness is not, you know, waiting for the other person to say they're sorry and if they say they're sorry enough then that's good. If they don't it's actually deciding to forgive somebody, it's just deciding you're not gonna be the judge. You're not gonna be their judge. You're gonna just say, Okay, I'm not gonna let myself condemn somebody because uh, that's what God told me not to do. Mm. Because if I do that with other people, I won't be able to feel the same forgiveness myself. Like that verse that says, you know, if you don't forgive others, then, you know, God will, will not forgive you too. Yeah. So, so forgiveness is part of being a follower of Jesus. Mm. And uh, yeah, churches are... Like, they can be a blessing, or they can be difficult, too, you know? But it's not about churches. It's, it's about your relationship with God, and then your relationship with other people. Yeah. And church is not a building, or it's not a religion. It's actually a group of people that make God, like, the center of their lives, that God dwells in them, and um, they have this uh, oneness with God. And um, this is a verse here, uh, actually several verses, like 10 verses in Ezekiel that kind of just sum up what um, God has showed me, shown me about a relationship with him. 
And uh, it's in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, and from the front of the temple faced east. Water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the other side, on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. There was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured, measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. The waters came up to my ankles. He measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured, measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross. For the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there, along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and it enters into the sea. When it reaches the sea, the waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters go there, for they, for, their, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. Um, instead of the idea of don't touch this, don't do that, don't drink, don't smoke, it's like Jesus touches us, and he heals us. And he gives us life so that we can touch other people by the fact that we're not just trying to do good. We're actually letting God live in us. And every part that, every person that Jesus touched, it was forgiving life. It was not forgiving death. That was not his purpose. He came to give life, right? So I like that. And I like the idea of uh, like a lot of fish too, right? Yeah. And because uh, it really speaks about the abundance, right? When you think back of what the stories they tell about, let's see, the Penobscot River and the salmon uh, in abundance in the, in the river, you know, it must have been quite a blessing to the people at the time to have abundant game and abundant fish. But anyway, I find that that's God at the center of that. It gives yeah. that. I look at I look at it as a blessing. Yeah. So you and Ruth Anna got married. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we moved uh, directly to Burnt Church. Lived in an old house that we were fixing up. Yeah, I've been inside that house. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a mess when we got there, and there's lots of stories around that. Yeah. Uh, but at the end, it seemed like a very nice place, and they, we have. Four children, they all were born in the Miramichi area, at the Miramichi Hospital. Yeah. And uh, and then as we 
kind of kept uh, going in our ministry, we got in contact with uh, Christians that spoke French, like people or followers of Jesus that spoke French. And uh, we were learning some Mi'kmaq language. And I like learning languages. And so I wanted to also learn French. So instead of going to an English-speaking church, we went to a French-speaking church. And the people there were are still like part of like our family. And our kids kind of grew up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at that time, uh, there was this uh, older man who had a real desire to see people know about Jesus in Quebec because Quebec is not a place where Jesus is known by many people. It's quite low as the people that really know about a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And so we had started learning French and they were looking for somebody who would go there and learn French and and work with uh, First Nations that had French as a second language. And so there, that's what we did. We moved uh, to Quebec and uh, started learning French. And we were actually there 25 plus years in Quebec. So it was, uh, that was the second part of our journey. And uh, it was like uh, when you move into a different area, like where you're not known, a new language, new culture and everything, it's like you're, you start at point one or something in your identity you have to kind of be known by people and and uh and we uh we were starting to reach out to a couple of abenaki reserves which is just like abenaki is kind of the has to do with the wabenaki alliance and uh, different tribes in the east uh, Mm -hmm. form that that alliance the penobscot's one of them Mi'kmaq, maliseet passamaquoddy and uh, so these people lived in southern Quebec, and many of them came from different different uh, communities, like in Vermont or, you know, in Maine, and they had moved there historically, uh, I guess, to defend the French at mm. a fort there. It's called, oh, it's called uh, the people of the, the Abenakis of the St. Francois, so it was a fort, St. Francois Fort there. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, my grandmother had told me about this group there that spoke the same language as the Penobscots. And so that's what kind of, you know, pushed us in that area. So there was Wallinac and there was Odenac, and we started to make, uh, build relationships there and uh, get to know people. And we could say right now that we have some very good friends there. They're, 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 like family almost, you know, mm. so, so yeah, moving to Quebec was a, a big, a big move, and, you know, like people, people, myself included, sometimes we put up barriers where barriers don't have to be, and some of them are political, some of them are historical, and um, if you just try to go across those barriers and you you show that you're not you're not there with bad intentions you're just there to you know get to know them and show them show them love um you know show them that you respect them Mm -hmm. and that just opens opens doors like we put up 
needless barrier sometimes. And uh, like I don't know that I've ever been a victim of racism. I've obviously been a victim of other things, but I do know people who have, you know, been victims of racism and like I think that's one of those one of those things that's a, a needless barrier mm-hmm. because God in my eyes and in the scriptures we're all we were all created by God right one one human race and uh, made in God's image mm. so your children mm-hmm. are married or um, there's three of our children that are married and one who's not yet married grandchildren i have we have six grandchildren yeah so some of them in quebec some of them in new brunswick and yeah we have our our families kind of scattered here and there i was privileged to be able to see your children as babies and grow up and now they're adults and it was yeah you've always been a kind of a part of our family yeah That was great when we got together around Christmas. That was a special. It was nice to see all the kids. Well, they're not kids anymore. They're adults, but... Yeah, but to you, they're kids, right? And uh, just to be a part of that and just to see how much they still love me. And that was was exciting. Yeah, they they do love you. That's for sure. Yeah. And... uh, yeah, we were able to do some uh, camping together with the uh, Anishinaabe and uh, Kitikin Zibi in the north of Ottawa, right? Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. I think camping has always been a part of your ministry. It really has. I like, it probably goes back to the fact of, you know, what God was doing in my life and um, my Tell us about Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. Well... Uh, Arrowhead kind of was uh, an incentive that came about because we were having camps many years uh, in a particular camp and the lease was running out and we were having more difficulty to schedule our weeks and so we really felt that we needed a camp where we could just, you know, be the ones that ran it and it was different missionaries that they really wanted to see uh, an outreach uh, to people, right? And uh, we were looking for for land and uh, for a place to have camp. And I had learned a lot from Carol and Kathy Hill. Um, It was like a mobile camp way back then because we had to move everything in, move out. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of had the model there already of what a camp, how a camp really ran. And then we started looking for a piece of property. And of course we were looking for a lease because that's what the other camp was on. And it doesn't cost much. You have a big lease and all that. But we really looked and we saw that there was absolutely nothing available that would have anything to do with swimming and good clean water for, you know, that kind of boating and and, uh, swimming. So uh, we got to a point where... We really had to make a decision and we said, well, you know, if God wants us to have a piece of property that we could use for outreach, then he could open up the door even if we had to buy the land, right? So uh, once we get to that point, 
it was like a that one step you know we went looking for a piece of land to buy and within almost half an hour 45 minutes we were led from one person to this other person who invited us into their house had us for a meal and told us about this piece of land and what his plans were his plans were to develop like a christian resort or um a place where people could come and learn about god and and camp and everything but it never worked out and he had just abandoned it so he had been praying that somebody would come and would be able to um, have a camp there of some sort. And uh, right at the beginning, though, we wanted to have a camp, but we wanted to have more than a camp. We wanted to have a place where uh, different people from different communities, Native communities, First Nations, could come and feel at home. And we could do activities uh, together, you know, and that they would feel that this really was part of them, right? So that was our goal, and then the idea of having um, a place where we could really study the Bible together and really get to know the scriptures together, and that was part of it. So that's how it started. Uh, so we made that step of faith, just trusting God for the money, which was like we didn't have, and we signed, uh, we actually signed, I think, to buy it before we had any finance. We never had any finances. So we just had to sign this, uh, <laughs> buying this land, the more money than we had, and we, and we just did it. And uh, it really brought the different people together because we had a focus. We get together here. We are here at Arrowhead right now. And we would pray together. We would... We would kind of fast do. together. We fasted together. Yeah, that was a really important part of it too. And we really asked God to provide that money, and we gave ourselves too. People gave, you know, it wasn't just asking other people. We gave ourselves, and we had, you know, we had people come down too. There were people who have passed away now, like Dorothy Wellwood. She was with us at the time. Yeah. And there was uh, Lawrence Simonson that was here, and you know, um, uh, Timothy Simon was here, and uh, you know, different people at different times. We'd yeah. come down here, but what was it was so great? We would just have like a fire out there, and we were in this old uh, army tent, and <laughs> we'd throw together, and uh, and that's where we were one day here, and we were deciding what would we call this place. And we were thinking about, well, what can we call it? White, white arrowhead or something? I don't know. Anyway, but somebody found, uh, yeah, Phil Welsh actually found uh, a white spearhead. And uh, we ended up coming to the conclusion that that we'd call it arrowhead, right? And uh, it's a quartz, uh, beautiful quartz arrowhead or spearhead or whatever. So that kind of sealed the deal for the name. <laughs> so uh yeah that was uh those were memorable times mm. it's always good when something's new and then one by one the buildings started to go up lots of stories lots of stories of how that happened and, yeah and now now it's really really beautiful i mean well built up and 
Yeah, and a very nice facility here. Mm. Yeah, so Ruth Ann and I were married in 1982, so we went right to Burnt Church and we started learning the language. And uh, learning the language was probably the best thing that I... I didn't fully learn the language. Uh, I, I got to a certain point, but learning the language is probably the best thing I, I ever did in ministry. And you sit, you might say to yourself, well, is that ministry? You were learning the language. And uh, I could say, yes, it was. And people who had barriers because of religious reasons, those people actually started approaching God more because of the, the fact that we were just learning the language. We weren't trying to necessarily preach to them or we were just really getting to know them and so uh, yeah some of those barriers came down and uh, that's a that's a good thing because we don't need those barriers especially when they're based on religion or Mm. men what men do I mean we are men but we have to really like focus on God because he is the one that counts. Like we can mess it up big time, but he doesn't mess anything up. He, yeah. he does it, does things. And when he does it, he does it right. Mm. So Arrowhead, uh, it's come a long ways from back then as far as facilities go. And, uh, we pray that, you know, it will be more and more used as well. Mm. That people will really, find this a place where they can they can sense God there yeah. they can sense their insecurity safety um, and also you know can can learn we can learn together too mm. so yeah so where are you today um today uh, I'm really uh, at the point where um, I really know that God is in control and that uh, I have to let him be in control and have to focus on uh, on the things of the, the good things that he has given me so I can be thankful for for my family, for everything. Because I think being thankful is probably the first step towards believing. Yeah. And just um, developing my relationship with my wife, with my kids, and prayer. Prayer prayer is not just asking. Prayer is talking to God and pouring your heart out. Um, And when you're like... Say you're in a situation where, you know, this is a bad situation. You can invite Jesus into that bad situation. And when he's in the center of that bad situation, the situation maybe didn't change. But having him there, it makes all the difference. Mm. So it's not that we're trying to avoid problems or we, you know, like try to run away from our problems, but just to actually invite him to come in to our lives when we have these problems. Yeah, and uh, I think I think that's uh, an essential part of the gospel is 
it's it's God being the center of your life. It's centering our hearts and our understanding on Him. And that doesn't mean that we turn our back on, you know, science or, you know, learning. It's not that. We can learn a lot. But it's more that our perspective is from Him being the center of it. Because I really believe He is the center of it. He's the Creator. He's the one uh, who made us. And we're made in, being made in God's image is like saying that we have worth, everyone, every person on the earth, no matter who they are, just by the fact that they're human, they're of great value to God. And so whether a person's in prison or whether they're where they are, even the people that have done the most horrible things, they're still made in God's image. And God doesn't change. He can forgive anyone of anything. That's right. So uh, forgiveness is another part of the gospel that's really important. And, and the fact that, that God promised to Abraham that Abraham, this was like hundreds of years ago, right? and uh, many hundreds of years. And he promised Abraham that he would have a seed, and through that seed, or that descendant, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just, uh, not just one nation, but all nations. And uh, Jesus is the hope of the nation. Mm. This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash anbc.ncem. Look for a new episode next week, wherever you find your favorite podcasts.